Hello, everybody. This is Genesis 11, not Genesis chapter 11. It's the 11th podcast that we're doing on Genesis. And as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is not about us. All right, so yeah, this is the 11th podcast of Genesis. I think that's kind of cool that uh, we're starting, we're we're in double digits. We're starting the next set of 10, uh, 11 through 20, so to speak. Uh, since had no idea just a few months ago that we'd have a podcast at all, and here we are. So uh, I don't know, Brad, what do you think about that? Well, <laughs> this is a little funny, but... Uh, the number 11 is one of my favorite numbers for the simple fact that it's two even lines. And I like that because it's order. It makes sense to me. Parallel. Yes. So. Cool. This better be my favorite one, Scott. All right. Oh, boy. Pressure's on. <laughs> well, Brad, then why don't you start us off with a prayer and make sure that... Uh, that you do what you can to make sure uh, that God's invited in and this does uh, do something good for people. Absolutely. Yahweh, I just want to spend a moment just thanking you. Thanking you for being our God. Thank you for being more concerned about us. Thank you for wanting fellowship with us right from the get-go, right from the beginning. Thank you for building our house. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for creating this world and all the things in it for us. And then when we messed up, thank you for the plan of salvation. And thank you for your son. Thank you for the Messiah. Thank you for the spirit. Thank you for everything that is from you. Here today, once again, We'll sit down and we'll do a Genesis study. But let the words that we speak, let them be from you. Because we can't do this without you. We can't go one moment without you. We give you honor and praise and love. And we're excited to get to know more about you when we dig through your word. Amen. Thank you for that. Amen as well. Um, Something jumped out at me as you were praying that you talked about. Thank you for building our house. That's going to come up in this episode, so uh, you'll know it when you hear it. But uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Again, for those of you listening, we don't connect with these beforehand. He has no idea what I'm about to say. I suppose he might have some idea. He can. He knows where I am in the Bible. He can <laughs> read ahead if he wants. But to be fair, I haven't been doing much of that because I've been doing my own study in Revelation, and then randomly things just pop into my head that I need to research. I don't know if it's God laying on my heart or the Spirit or whatever's going on, but, but actually I haven't touched Genesis for a little while now. Um, but I have been paying attention, and <laughs> we have been building a house in previous studies. Um with yep. the help of the greatest carpenter ever. All right, so let's jump in. Uh, now, previously, we had just finished 
Genesis 2.16-17 And Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. And we spoke about the two trees, and the uh, primarily the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But now we're in Genesis 2.18, and Eve is not in the picture yet, but we're going to start talking about her because God is preparing the way for her. And Yahweh Elohim said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Now, helpmeet is Old English for helpmate. Now, it means a helpful companion or partner especially a husband or wife. So just in case you're out there going, what's a helpmeet? What is he talking about? So that's all he's saying. He's basically saying he needs a wife. He needs a mate. Uh, he needs someone just for him. Now, helpmeet in Strong's Concordance is number 5828. The Hebrew is azer, and it means an aid. And this word comes from 5826 Azar, which means to aid, but also means to surround, in other words, to protect. Now, that threw me when I heard that right there. And before I go on, let me give you the word picture here. And the word picture is exactly the same for both Azar and Azar because they're spelled identically. The word picture, ayin, zayin, resh, the interpretation that I came up with that jumped out to me was experience the sword of the Most High. And the thing that really grabbed me about this was the fact that I, I don't know if you'll agree with me, Brad, but I think everyone kind of has an idea when we when we have the male female relationship the 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 husband and wife we think of the man as the strong protector we think of the man as wielding the sword defending the family uh, we think of the woman as the caregiver uh, taking care of the child taking care of the house that kind of thing it's uh, you can call it a general stereotype if you want but but you know where I'm coming from. We think of the man as the strong defender of the family. And yet this seems to be putting in the language that God was giving him an aid, a protector, a surrounder. And in this word picture, we see experience the sword of the Most High. So initially, I was just stunned. I'm just looking at this word picture going, really? The woman is the protector being described here. Well, I'm kind of stunned right now because I'm thinking about something. Um, I would totally agree with you. Up to three weeks ago, I would totally agree with you that, yeah, the man is the protector. Um, that's that's in our movies. It's in Disney. It's in, you know, it's in everything. But I recently had to challenge this idea without even knowing where we're going here. Uh, with my grandmother's death, I realized that the matriarch of the family, that was my grandma, she was actually the one protecting my family. She was actually the one making sure that the family didn't divide into division, 
She was the one making sure that we got together for holidays and special times. She was protecting our family line. And she was also the guardian of our family history. Um, Something that I've been thinking about lately is she was the oldest of all of her cousins and of all of her siblings. She remembered family um, that they never met, even though they're oh, wow. even though they're as old, you know, they're up there with her. She, um, I think her uh, her grandfather, she knew until she was six years old, roughly, and most of the cousins didn't know him at all. They had no experiences. So even though she only had six years worth of experience, she at least had some memory of him. Yeah. Actually in the flesh, in the living uh, world. So, yes, this is a concept that I've been thinking about lately. Um, the man might protect you from the invaders that come into the house. Right. But it's actually the 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 women that protect the family, their um, what do I want to say? Their familiar needs, their their uh, their connection to the previous family, to generations, to traditions, to all of those kind of things. Yeah, and when I ran this by my wife, you know, because I was I was just discovering this and I'm I'm pondering it, and I ran it by her, and she went, "Yeah, it's the <laughs> woman who says I don't think you should be up there on the roof like that," <laughs> and. Uh, I've heard it said before about fathers and mothers that uh, it's the father's job to push their children uh, almost to death. It's the mother's job to keep them from death. <laughs> yeah. And and I can see that. But yeah, this is... I. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, I can see that. We, we Like I said, we tend to think of the man as the shield and sword, you know, putting on the helmet, going into battle... But here we see the woman being explained. Now, we don't see the woman yet in the story. We know it's going to be Eve uh, that is, his, is Adam's helpmate. But right here, he's just saying he needs a helpmate. And in this word, he's saying he needs an aid. He needs a protector. He needs a surrounder. Well, and that just, I just thought of something else too. Um, have you ever seen a mad mom? Have you ever seen a mom <laughs> oh, re- yeah. ready to protect her child or protect her husband or whatever it might be? Yeah, no. we. <laughs> the stereotype is wrong. Women are... Now, there's another thing to point out right there is that I think every one of us has an easier time seeing this as a mother rather than as a wife. Yeah. So as a mother, I think every one of us kind of goes, oh, okay, I see it. Absolutely, I see it. But as a wife... It was a little more difficult for me to picture that. I yeah, I guess I understand. I immediately went to mother images, mm-hmm. but but it's it's important to note that this is what's going on here. Now we've seen before when we've discussed this before that since Adam is the singular being as the full God, so when God makes Adam the the one person, He put the entirety of the Godhood in him. And since, and I'm kind of skipping ahead, we're going to get here in a second, the feminine side of God, as we've discussed before, is the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get into this more deeply once Eve is formed, but it's important to see here that this is, 
the picture here of this aid and defender and surrounder and protector is the Holy Spirit. That, that the image, the physical image, points to spiritual truth. The Holy Spirit being given to all of mankind as a surrounding protective aid. So that's just, to me, that was important to note in the role of the Holy Spirit and, and who she is and what she accomplishes in our lives. Now, I got a couple verses here just to, just to throw at you along those lines. Romans 8.26 says, Thus also the Spirit aids our infirmity, for we do not know what is right to pray for, but the Spirit prays on our behalf with groans that are not describable. Luke 24.49 says, and this is Jesus telling them, telling his disciples, I will send to you the promise of my Father, which we knew was going to be the Holy Spirit. And he said, but remain in the city, Yerushalayim, which is Hebrew for Jerusalem, until you be clothed with power from on high. So clothed, surrounded with power. Here we again, we get this, this strong military image, really, uh, from Jesus. So these are just a couple verses talking about the Spirit as an aid to us, uh, assisting us. And, and again, I like in Romans 8.26, where it says, we do not know what is right to pray for. Uh, again, I got this picture of the Word in the prayer, Word going out, the Spirit praying on our behalf, the, the, the Holy Spirit speaking through us, uh, and the, the Word of God being the sword of the Spirit. Just that, again, that battle image in our prayer. That, that, that's what I was getting from it. I don't know what you think, Brad. These are, and oh, and something I want to emphasize too, and I've thought of this before, and we've kind of, we, we've mentioned it before, but I want everyone to know these are like my thoughts. These are my impressions. They're not perfect. Uh, please feel free to contact us. We've said that before, and, and let us know what you think about it. I never want to insinuate that I have absolute knowledge and this is what it means. These are just my thoughts I'm throwing out there. Uh, Brad, what do you think? Yeah, same same with me. If once I'll mention it again, I've mentioned it in many podcasts, but it's very 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 true. Our prayer and our hope is that if we say something that feels like truth to you, uh, let that be planted in your heart because that might have come from the spirit that might be truth. If we say anything that you just do not feel right about, that's okay. Throw it away. Forget about it. Um, but then also, we would really appreciate if you shared your thoughts um, or what the Spirit has given you uh, with us as well. What you're talking about here, Scott, makes a lot of sense to me. The disciples, you know, they were told to to wait until the helper came, until the protector came. And it makes me wonder what was going on in the spiritual realm at that point. Um, was there some really epic battling going on? And was there was there a real threat to them that Jesus is saying, hey, you need to just wait. Don't try to do anything until the helper comes. Yeah. Um, I've also, there's Bible passages in Daniel that says that um, he was praying and praying and praying 
And when the angel finally got there, he was held up because he was in battle. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and if he had stopped, if Daniel had stopped seizing, if he had seizing to, if he had ceased to pray, does that mean that the angel would have never have gotten to him? Right. You know, so it's like it's making me wonder what was going on. Sorry, this is outside of what you were trying to say. Just no, interesting, go for it. Just interesting. What to hits me. your heart? That's yeah. Um, you know what was going on in the spiritual that they necessarily couldn't see at that point. Uh-huh. Um, that Jesus is like no. Uh, you got to wait for the helper to protect you because you're yeah. not ready for this yet. Exactly. Yeah. And that might be going something that's going on here too is, you know, Adam needs his helper. It's not good for him to not have a protector. It's not mm-hmm. good for him uh, to be alone. Right. Yeah. Now it, it was, it's not good for man to be alone. I always got this idea of, just and I don't think this is wrong. It's just one piece of it. I always got this idea of you know God is love. Love needs to share, and uh, so man needed someone to share that with. This is also a prophetic picture of us and God. Uh, but we're going to get into that in more detail later. But right now is just this idea of the helpmeet, the woman being this protector, being this surrounder. So anyway, this this brought me to something else that I noticed in the Hebrew alphabet, in the word pictures here, the word tet, sorry, the letter tet or teth also means surround. And not just surround, it means, it can mean snake. So as a snake's coils surround something, And I wondered, now you and I have talked about this before, but everything God made, including the snake, including the serpent, was good. Right. So when God made the serpent, it was a a creature that had a function as part of his ecosystem, as part of this world. It had a good function. It was a good thing. Uh, God, we tend to think of the serpent as evil because we're coming up in the part in Genesis where Satan comes as a serpent. We, we think of now the serpent is cursed and we think of the serpent in only evil terms. We tend to anyway because of this, but the serpent is not evil in and of itself. It had a good purpose in God's plan. And Tet being a, the picture of a serpent and surrounding that made me wonder, did Satan come in the form of a serpent as a deceptive mockery of the Holy Spirit? And if, if the Holy Spirit's job is to surround, uh, if the Holy Spirit aids us and protects us and clothes us with righteousness and, and, and clothes us with power, did Satan choose to come as a serpent because he's not a creator he's taking he can only take what god has created and then manipulate it and twist it and in fact another in that word i i didn't even mean to go here but in that word that letter tate or tate it it can also mean to twist and that just made me wonder if that's why satan came as a serpent if that's if that's the Holy Spirit, he's misrepresenting. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, 
I mean, I won't say yes, that's absolute truth, Scott, but that uh, makes perfect sense because Satan, that's what he does. He takes everything from God and he, he has a poor parallel, a poor imitation mm-hmm. um, that he tries to present to the world. Yeah. So, and, and you're right. I'm not saying, yep, I've determined it. It's absolute fact. Run with it. No, it's just a thought. It's just, I don't, just something that kind of struck me. So I'll, I leave it out there for all of the listeners to ponder for yourself. Uh, run that by God, you know, and, and see what you think about it. Might be very, right, might be wrong. At the very least, use that as an example to show kind of some of the tricks that uh, Satan uses. Because uh, yeah. that, that's what he does. He, he tries to make... Yeah, and the Bible says he comes as an angel of light. Mm-hmm. Satan doesn't have to come with horns and a pitchfork and I'll threaten you and do what I say or I'll kill you. No, he often comes portraying himself as our best friend. I would... Th- I, this is just my thought. I think Satan loves the fact that we as a, as a human race have given him this image of the horns and the pitchfork and the red skinned mm-hmm. because he is a deceiver and that makes it much easier for him to deceive us. Yeah. Cause he is, he was actually, the Bible describes him as this absolutely beautiful creature. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect in the beginning, a beautiful creature. Um, he gave glory and, and, and praise to God. Um, something I've been looking into about the throne um, is this pulsating and, and, and what was going on and, and uh, the stones that Satan had on him would have pulsated with the light from the throne. And there's also uh, some discussion that he might have even been like a musical instrument. When he walked, he might have literally been this beautiful creature walking and playing beautiful music. And then he got so caught up in his own power and mm-hmm. his own beauty and his own glory. He started to look at himself and not God. Mm-hmm started to think wow i'm pretty impressive mm-hmm. i mean that's something we all do power what? corrupts me no <laughs> oh wait yeah 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 very much so uh but okay well that's just something to think about we'll toss that out and i'm going to move on now to genesis two nineteen. that says and out of the earth yahweh elohim formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto the man to see what he would call them, and whatsoever the man would call every living creature, that was to be the name thereof. So this, I'm not exactly sure what to make of this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna run over two scenarios here with you that uh, that I pondered. So Genesis one, the the first chapter, definitely says the animals, the fish, the birds, every animal was made before man. So here in this verse, it seems to say, okay, man is there. Then out of the earth, Yahweh Elohim formed every beast. So here we have them forming the animals after man. So it made me wonder. And now it doesn't say God created man, then he formed the animals. It doesn't say that. It just says, and out of the earth, Yahweh Elohim formed every beast of the field and brought them unto man. So there's a couple of possibilities here. One, we've already talked about how the Bible will give an overview and then go back and add more information. So is he just simply saying, this is the God that exists outside of time. This is the God who perfectly had his whole plan in place before he ever formed the first ray of light, the first rock, 
whatever he made. He had the entire plan established. So was this just him adding more detail? We know he created the animals first. When he formed them, is he just explaining right now, uh, I need to make a help meet for man? So he formed all of the animals with the purpose of knowing when Adam was created, he was going to present them to him. Uh, so there's that possibility. Or it could be he's made all of the animals in the past, as he did uh, in our timeline, and now he brings Adam to this place, and for him, he just simply forms a new animal in front of him. He's God. He can do that. He just, there's a gopher. Tell me what you think. You know, there's a dog. You know, tell me what you think. Now, I'm, I'm, it says Adam named him. I'm just throwing animals out there because how else am I going to describe it to you listening? <laughs> uh, so he's just, you know, he's just forming an animal, laying it that has already been created. He's just forming a new one in front of Adam and Adam's giving it a name. You know, now what exactly happened does have importance in determining what exactly God wants us to see about himself. Uh, so I'm not saying, oh, we should just blow it off and say, who cares? Uh, I'm not saying it has primary importance to all of our salvation knowledge of God, but I'm just wondering what happened here. I don't know exactly what this is saying, but one thing definitely does stand out about this. Genesis 2.18, he says... I will make. God does not say, I will bring. So whether God created the animals and then brought them, or whether God made individual animals for Adam to name, it is pointing out the fact he made them for Adam. 2.19, Genesis 2.19 reinforces that by saying, God formed and then brought it doesn't just say, and God brought the animals that he had already formed. Uh, I always had this image of God gathering animals together for Adam to name. And it's still possible that that's exactly what happened. That's what this is saying. He, he formed the beasts way back when. He just had this thought in mind as he formed them, knowing he is the future. Uh, and, and he just knew this is my intent for the animals, or at least part of his intent. And then he brought them before Adam. Uh, still possible that's exactly what happened. But this verse is taking particular pains to show that the animals were created for Adam. And I guess that, either way you go, that's something important to grab. I don't know. Any thoughts on that, Brad? To me, this scene, when I imagine it, to me, it's just a cute little moment between father and son. You know, father is saying, look at this thing that I have formed. And the kid is, yeah. God, wow, that's awesome. I want to call that a cat. You uh -huh. know, like <laughs> to me, it's very childlike. And I know there's, it's, it goes much further and deeper uh, than that. And, I'm, and every part of it has some sort of meaning. But for me, it's just this very cute, intimate moment showing that God we were part of, we had a purpose. We were a part of his plan from the get-go. He wanted to be with us. And I think he also is showing off a little bit here 
Um, not in the sense <laughs> yeah. that, not in the sense that we do, right. you know, he, he has no pride. He has no, but he's showing off and saying, this is all for you. Yeah. You know? And that, that is the important part that I want to get out of this is he formed them for man. It was all for man. The exact timing of it for right now, I'm going to say, I don't know. And just let it go. Yeah. Um, if there is some importance to it, may God reveal that to me, what that is later or to you, and, and you can share it with us. But but for right now, yeah, he, you're right. He formed them for man. Uh, hey, look what I can do, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that is so cool. I, I, I get the same picture. And in fact, that's another thing I wrote down here is that just like in Genesis 2.15 where God has created everything and then given man a purpose and a special role in decorating the garden, which we talked about, and then he put man in to dress it and to keep it. Again, God does all the work here. Just like in the garden, he created everything and then said, now decorate it, make right. it look nice. He's creating the animals, but he lets man name it. He's giving man purpose. He's, again, baby steps. God has created a being in his own image. Well, God is a creator. So man is naturally a creator as well. He's giving man baby steps, allowing him to be a creator to the extent of his abilities. Man, you can create the name. And I, I, I just think that's cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, there probably is deeper meaning here, but sometimes... I think the Bible is read in a very, we need to think about this and be very, we have to be scholarly and we have to really figure it out. But Jesus himself said, have the mind of a child. Yeah. You know, so times like this, I look at this scene and I go, yes, maybe there's some more seriousness to it. I just look at it. I think it's cute. Mm -hmm. I think it's father and son (laughs) having an intimate moment. Uh, showing off the creation and God is explaining this is all for you and that uh, I'm glad you said that because that highlights another wonderful thing about scripture is it works on every level and it's intended and designed to do that and it's wonderful you are a servant uh, a slave we've spoken about that how does uh, on that level how does this appear you are an heir of salvation on that level how does this appear? You are his bride. On that level, soldier, uh, all of these things, friend of God, everything we are, whatever state you're in, you can get a different interpretation about this, and they're all correct. That is how deep and wonderful God is, and it's so cool. Uh, what he wants you to see from it, you'll see from it right now if you're chasing him. If you circle back around and see something new, you're like, why didn't I catch that the first time? I've had this happen to me hundreds of times in my life. It's because you weren't at the proper place in that time in your life to see it. In fact, it's what I'm doing now. As, as I go over Genesis right now, things are jumping out at me that I've never seen before. And sometimes I go, why? That, that looks so obvious to me. What's going on? Because I'm in a different place in my life. One last thing to mention here, uh, and I'll just toss this out for your consideration. Don't know exactly if there's any importance to it, but I did notice it, so I'll throw it out there for you. The King James Version 
translates, this is the first time that it actually translates the word Adam. Every time before this has just been the man. The Hebraic Roots version doesn't name him Adam until the next verse, Genesis 2.20. It uses the man here. I have no idea if that's important at all, but I did notice uh, they disagree on when to name him Adam. Every time before this, they've just they've both just called him and the man. Now the Hebrew word is Adam, but they've translated it as the man. This is the first time in King James they actually name him Adam. And like I said, the Hebraic roots version doesn't do it until the next verse. There's something to that. I don't know what it is. I throw it out there for your benefit. It's interesting, nonetheless. And as I've told my son, it is totally okay to read a verse, to stop and go, have no idea what that means, and move on. God will tell you later if it has importance to you in your life. All right, so I'm going to move on to Genesis 2.20. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. Now initially, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, why? Why did God go through all this? God knew exactly who Adam's perfect partner was. So why did he make Adam go through all of this and not just reveal Eve right off the bat? Here's your perfect helpmeet, Adam. Surprise, happy birthday, whatever. Uh, God doesn't make mistakes And God does not ask questions he does not know the answer to. Anytime he does something, it's for our benefit. So why did he do this? Brad, you're giggling. What's... (laughs) You said happy birthday, but (laughs) in my mind, I was wondering, shouldn't it be happy creation day? Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So off track. So I thought of a couple things. Is it because if he skipped right to the conclusion... He knew Adam would question it later. Did he have to run every animal by Adam and let Adam see, no, this isn't going to work, and let Adam come to that conclusion, this isn't going to work? Even though God knew, did, did he have to go through the process for Adam's sake? You first have to go through this just to make sure you know what we end up on is perfect. So is it just to set Adam at ease that the correct choice was made in Eve? I don't know. It's a possibility I thought of. Or is it simply just saving the best for last? You know, here is, yeah. here's, here's everything I've created. But again, if he's saving the best for last, he knows what the best is. Why didn't he just do it right off the top? Here's Eve. There you go. It's perfect. Trust me, I'm God. But maybe you appreciate it more if you see everything... There you go. That that could be it. He just, like I said, he just had to go through every other option in order to appreciate that this was best. I don't know. And um, another thing is Genesis chapter 1, 20 through 25, specifies everything after its kind. So was God making a statement to Adam and to all of us with this process that we are separate from the animals? We are unique. We're special. There's only one of us in all the animal kingdom. We are not after their kind. 
they are not after our kind. Is, is that what the whole purpose was? It's taking all the animals past Adam to show us prophetically down the line, reinforcing the fact, no, we're not an animal. There is no match for us there. I don't know. Just a couple things to ponder and, and other things that I probably haven't thought of. Yeah. You look like you're deep in thought. You got <laughs> just just wondering about that or No, I was just picturing I'm just picturing myself as Adam and you know, here's God presenting all of these things and then nothing was found to be like me. And then here she comes. You know, I'm I'm just I'm just picturing it as uh-huh. the groom seeing his bride for the first time. You know, oh, yeah. God, what is that? That's beautiful. That's amazing. Uh-huh. You know, I I don't know if it's just something along those lines. Just God knew that, okay, that he's going to be impressed by this. He, he, and, and Adam's probably impressed by all of it, but he's going to be really impressed by this. Uh-huh. You know, just, huh. just, just what I'm thinking of. Okay, so Genesis 2, 21 through 22... Uh, We're going to end here with this one. And Yahweh Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which Yahweh Elohim had taken from the man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So first of all, he made him to sleep. And he slept. Both of these words, sleep, slept, are Strong's Concordance number 3462, Yashane. Properly, it means to be slack or languid. By implication, it means to sleep. So really, he just, he just made him slack. Uh, just kind of knocked him out, so to speak. Just, just made him lay there. We think of that as sleep. And that's exactly what it could be. But essentially, he's just, he's the surgeon. Just put him out. I'm about to do surgery. Figuratively, this word means to die. It can also mean grow old, stale, or inveterate. But that made me think there is a symbolism of death here with sleep. As as there is in many ways. And we all know it throughout the scriptures. Uh... Although your body still lives when you sleep, your conscious mind leaves this plane of existence. Not only are you not able to function in this world any longer, whether through perceiving it or interacting with it when you sleep, when you dream, that's another place of existence. We as Christians should be seeing death in the same light as when we sleep. And in fact, Jesus, talking about Lazarus dying, tells his disciples he's sleeping. And his disciples say, oh, oh, well, if he's just sleeping, you know, okay, he's sick, but he's just, he's just resting, so he'll get better. And Jesus had to tell him, no, I, I mean death. He's sleeping. He's, he's in his rest, so to speak. He's, he, his body has given up, laid down. He's not functioning in this plane anymore. His spirit has moved on to another plane of existence. This idea of sleep is a physical representation 
of spiritual reality to us of death. God let Adam sleep in order to provide him with his perfect companion. So that is another physical picture here too. When our physical bodies die and we enter into our eternal rest, it is to join us completely and perfectly to our perfect companion. The bride and the groom will be joined together forever. There's a picture here. God is putting him to sleep, and Eve is the result. And that's what death is for us. When we sleep, we're going to be reunited perfectly with our lover, with, with the groom. The bride and the groom are finally going to come together the way they were supposed to be. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? No, just I say no, and then I'm like, oh, but here I go. <laughs> <laughs> I just look at it as... Nope, you said no, I'm moving on. Okay. <laughs> no, go ahead. I just think of it as, uh, uh, as you're right, that dreams are uh, one reality. This is one reality. Heaven will be a different reality. Um, it's just our spirit going through those different realities. But mm-hmm. when we're awake and we look at our physical world around us, we only understand the things that we can see, taste, hear, touch. We don't always understand that there is so much more happening um, in the spiritual realm. And when something major happens here on the earth that we can see, taste, hear, feel, there's also something major that probably happened in the spiritual realm that we have no concept of what's going on. Yeah. And... This could be one of those things too. Mm-hmm. Could have put him to sleep because something had to happen major in the spiritual realm. I don't know. Those are just thoughts that I'm having. Okay. Unrefined. No, exactly. Yeah, these are all unrefined uh, by both of us. Just kind of first thoughts on the subject. We have not, generally speaking, considered this for nine years and researched every little thought. This is just introduction to our heart pouring out to you but the reason the thing on my heart primarily that I wanted to get across to all of you and I've said it before is we should not be fearing death as Christians this is a picture of God putting man to sleep and coming out of that sleep to reveal his perfect wonderful bride this should be an example to all of us how many of you fear sleep every night No, usually most of us are, oh, thank God for this sleep. I am done with the day. I need to go to bed. This is wonderful. This is awesome. And that's the way we should be picturing death. It reminds me of probably an oversimplified picture that I saw. But in this picture, there was a little girl, and she had a tiny little teddy bear. And Jesus had an outstretched hand. He was asking for the little teddy bear. But behind his back, he had a much bigger and better teddy bear. Uh You know, oversimplified little image, but that's kind of what it is. We cling to what we have here when Jesus is offering us so much more. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So the word picture here, Yod, Sheen, Nun. Interpretation I came up with was one, I came up with a couple. One of them was work consumes life. 
and, and this is a picture for sleep. So and if you think about it that way, uh, that, that's, that can be taken good or bad. You know, work consumes life. It drains me. Uh, but it's also work is consuming life. So in other words, what you eat, that's what you are. And work is consuming life, putting life into itself. Now, it's easy to say work consumes life in a negative sense in the, say, in, in the way that you think of as work kind of destroys life. The more you work, the tired you get, and you need sleep. Uh, but I found it fascinating thinking about it as, no, the more you work, the more life you get. And, and seeing that as our eternal reward in the end is grace is a gift, but we're all going to be rewarded for how faithfully we lived our lives down here. So the more we work for him, the more life we're putting into us. And another interpretation that jumped out at me was sleep is the finished work of El Shaddai's faithfulness. And that's, again, guys, death is not something to fear. It's, it's sleep. It's rest. It's your work is done. Now have some rest. This, your work is finished. El Shaddai is faithful. Come on, uh, enjoy my rest. You're pondering that very deeply. <laughs> Want me to move on? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing major. I'm just thinking of how beautiful image, how beautiful of an image that is. You did your time. You ran the race. You're tired. Come and rest in me now. Just, just a beautiful image. I, I love it. So now, the other word I, I looked up here was rib. And it's Strong's Concordance, number 6763. Uh, it's pronounced Selah or Salah. And it comes from 6760, Thala, which means to curve, as in a rib. Uh, but the fascinating thing about that that I saw was yeah, the woman's got curves. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, that that's just, I went, thank you, God. That's, that's a cool image. Especially for every man listening, we're going, yes, thank you, God, we appreciate the curves. <laughs> uh, the women are going, might be going, I don't get it. That's okay, you just got to trust us. <laughs> uh, God did this on purpose and uh, because he wanted man to go, wow. But, Selah, or Salah, does mean a rib, as curved, literally, of the body, figuratively, of a door. It can also mean a side, literally, of a person, figuratively, of an object or of the sky, especially a floor or a ceiling. It can also mean a side chamber of a house. So there's a few things going on here, but the first thing I want to focus on is this is a picture of Yahweh taking a piece of himself to create man. So when, again, in physical pictures, he's, he's representing spiritual truth, and the man represents God. He put his entire being into God. Uh, sorry, sorry, he put God put his entire being into Adam, the original man, and when he took a rib out of the singular Adam, he was not creating 
a second being. He was taking the rib or a side of Adam out. She is the feminine side of Yahweh that was originally in the singular person Adam. We've talked about this before. Eve, the woman, was just as much God as the man is. She's not a second-class citizen. She is God. She is that side of God. Madam, Madam, sorry, uh, tripping over my lips here. Uh, Adam is essentially the male side. Woman is the female side, but they're both God. And we need to see them completely. And this is the idea. They need to rejoin together in marriage and, yeah, I'm going to say it, in sex. These are physical representations of the reunion God wants with all of us. He wants that intimacy. The idea, he took a piece of himself, created man, and the idea was, come back to me. Let's rejoin. Love wants to share. He, he put himself in, in man and said, now, come back. That's what the marriage is. Adam is the male side, represents the one in this physical representation on earth for us to see he represents god woman represents mankind just like when god took a piece of himself and created man mankind this is what we're seeing in the physical picture he took a rib out of adam and made eve we are to rejoin with god now, something else I want to go over here that is going to be difficult for a lot of people to understand, a lot of people to accept, and I'm probably going to get accused of hating. It's not. It's not hatred at all. But this is why God does not approve of homosexuality. It stems from this. Man is God playing the part of God. Woman is playing the part of mankind. And we've talked about it before. Every physical representation stands for something spiritual. Jesus began to tell us when he was here. Uh, the law of Moses says, you shall not go out, have sex with a woman who's not your wife. But I tell you, if you have that lust in your heart for that woman, you've already committed the sin of adultery. So when we look at the physical representation of sin, we need to examine how spiritually is the real sin happening. And with homosexuality, what it is in reality is a rejection of God. We are saying we don't want that reunification with God. We want our own kind. We want man. We want to, it, it, that's really what it stems from. And it's in the physical, that's its manifestation. And this, this saddens God because he wants to join with us. He wants that love with us. He wants to connect. And it's like any other sin. He's not hating on us by telling us we need to stop. He's trying to protect us. He's trying to love us. He's trying to tell us, just like 
He was telling Adam, don't eat of that fruit. When Adam did, he died. When God tells us, don't get involved in that sin, he's not saying, don't get involved in pleasurable things because I'm a nitpicky jerk and I just like throwing out rules to make you suffer and feel bad. What God is telling us is, that leads to death and I don't want to lose you. So for everyone who's going to say with those words that I am a hater, you couldn't be more wrong. I am not attacking everyone who calls themselves a homosexual. I am hoping you come back to God. Just in the same way, atheism is wrong. That's a simple fact. There is a God, and he wants you to come to him. And if you're an atheist, I hope you see the light, And because I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die in, in that false uh, deceit that you call knowledge. Uh, that's not hatred. That is, please see the light. Please come to the one who loves you. Scripture states that all men are in rebellion to God. Um, homosexuality is just one of the ways. But yes. any sin that you commit is in rebellion to God. Um, that's why it's so important to repent and put your t- trust into Jesus. Um, because then you're showing that you trust him, you trust God. You're no longer going to put your trust in the sin, the pleasurable things, the things of the world. So what you're saying, Scott, to me is the ultimate love. You just, you have an idea that separation from God is terrible mm-hmm. and you're just trying to warn people yes that uh that's terrible and yeah. i love you so much i don't want you to go through that exactly that's the hard thing about today though mm-hmm. is uh society is very much in rebellion to god and they're saying that uh the things that are in rebellion of god are better than the things god, that are not yeah. better than god um, so that's kind of the hard part, or that's kind of the hard place that we're in now. But no, I I just want to show my love for God, and I hope that that inspires others to chase after their own relationship yeah. and find their own love for God. Now, I do understand that because I'm taking this stance, why a lot of people will call me a hater, because a lot of people in the name of Jesus Christ have gone out and hated and, and been abusive and been evil to a lot of these people. I want you to understand something. We've talked about it before. The word Christian, it means to be like Christ. It does not mean, we, we've treated it nowadays like Christian means I said a prayer, I dunked myself in water, I attend a church. For some people, it means I live in America. And my, my grandfather built that church down the street I've never attended a day in my life, and I don't care about it, but I'm a Christian uh, because it's just a cultural thing. It's not a reality thing. No, Christian means you are looking and appearing and sounding and presenting yourself like Christ. So let me ask you, can you be a Christian homosexual? Can you be a Christian murderer? Can you be a Christian thief? Can you be a Christian liar? Can you be a Christian gossip? 
Can you be a Christian rapist? Can you be a Christian adulterer? And on and on and on. The answer is no for all of them. That doesn't mean I hate them all. I want them all to repent, understand what's going on, and come back. Now, does this mean if you're saved, if you've accepted his gift of salvation and you screw up, I'm saying you're no longer saved? No, that's not what I'm talking about. We have redefined Christian to mean you're calling yourself saved. But what I'm trying to explain is that word does not mean that. It means you are presenting an accurate picture of who Jesus is at that time. If you're lying, are you presenting an accurate picture of who Jesus is, who defined himself as the way, the truth, and the life? No, you are not. There is no such thing as a Christian liar. Because if you're lying at that moment, you might be saved. You have not given up that gift of salvation that you're clinging to. But when you're lying in that moment, you are not revealing Christ. So when you're participating in homosexuality, you're not revealing a true picture of who Jesus is. Same as if you're stealing. You're not revealing Jesus in your life. Christian to the early church was not something they called themselves. It was something others called them. It was those people are, are looking and acting like this person who was just around called Jesus that we nailed up to a cross years ago and claims to have risen from the dead. Those people are his followers. They resemble him. I got I to gotta ask you, and now we're kind of getting off on a side note and I'm preaching, but how many of you who call yourselves Christian do other people call you Christian? How many of you are revealing Jesus in your life? So if you're out there attacking homosexuals as evil and worthy of death and worthy of your hatred and punishment, guys, how many of you are worthy of the same hatred and punishment? We're all worthy of death. And by grace, we are saved. I know many people who call themselves homosexuals and they call me friend because I'm not hating on them. I want them to come to Jesus, but it is a personal decision for each of them that I cannot force them into. And God will not either. He is wooing them. He is loving them. He is calling them. Just like the thief that I have been. Just like the liar that I have been. I didn't want God to punish me to hell at that moment. I so appreciate the wooing and the loving that he did to call me over to repentance. And I have something else about this verse. I kind of went on and on about this aspect of it right now because I want to make it very clear that we need to love everyone who's not in his kingdom. This verse right here just is particularly talking about us that particular subject but there's something else that it talks about that i want to see real quickly and i'll wrap this up is the fact that it also means a side chamber of a house and i really appreciated that image because john 14 2 says in my rooms i'm sorry i'm sorry let me go back and start over it says there are many rooms in the house of my father And if not, I would have told you, for I go 
to prepare a place for you. And Brad, we've talked about this before in relation to marriage. Uh, the, the bride would say, yes, I want to be married to you. And then the groom would go build a house for the bride and then would come back and there was great rejoicing. Then the ceremony happened, the wedding ceremony, and then he took his bride to the house. Jesus is saying, I go to prepare a place for you. We have said, yes, I want to be yours. We are betrothed, but the wedding hasn't happened yet. The wedding happens when we go on and we go to that place. We go to his house. The ceremony happens and he takes us to that house. This picture for rib, meaning a side chamber of a house, had special significance for me in that aspect because God's house was complete without us. Guys, never forget, God doesn't need us. God wants us. And because God is love, he wanted somebody to love. But guys, God can exist without us. We can't exist without him. We're dependent upon him. He we fear him because he's God. We love him because he first loved us. He declared we are worthy. We're not complete without him. Our house has to be attached to his. His house can be separate from everything. He doesn't have to put, he doesn't have to make a room for us, but he did because he loves us. He took the rib from his own body and made a man. He added on to his house that already existed and said, I want you to live there. I want to love you. He wants us to be a part of him, which goes back to what I was talking about earlier. He wants us to love. He wants us to be a part of his house. Well, I'm going to end there, Brad. If you have any final thoughts, please jump out. I Like I said before, these are initial thoughts. These are ruminations. I am not perfect on everything. They're out there for you to ponder. Uh, Brad, ponder away. <laughs> right now, I'm just in love with the image that you have just portrayed. God does not need us. This we know, even though sometimes we try to say, no, that's not true. But we know that God did not need us. He did not need to do any of this. And sometimes we don't necessarily understand why he did all of this or why he created all of us other than God was love. He wanted to share it. He needed to share it. So I will just end by saying God is the greatest love story that you will ever have. So run to him. Let him build a house for you or a room for you in the mansion because it's the greatest love story that you will ever know. Thank you for that. I think that's a wonderful place to end it. As always, this has been Scott. And this has been Brad. And this is not about us.